today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Are there people in the church today that are possibly in that same situation? So close, so involved, so active, and yet not truly born again. Yet not truly, fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are close, but not close enough. They're filled with ritual, they're filled with ceremony, they're filled with religion, they're filled with good works. They're filled with the, with the verbiage and, and the dialogue of Christians. But yet their lives haven't been changed from the inside out. Judas literally walked with Jesus, witnessing his miracles firsthand, hearing all of his teachings. He was an apostle, a follower. He bore all the signs of being a believer. But as Pastor David explains in today's message, while Judas lived in close proximity to Jesus, his heart was far away. While the betrayal may not be as severe or apparent, there are those in the church today whose hearts betray Christ. They look and act just like a believer, but it doesn't go any deeper than that. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Close, But Not Close Enough. We have no record of his mother, but Judas's last name is, is possible designation of the place of his ancestry. There's a, there's a town called Kerioth in, in Moab, which is on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And so it actually could have been, his last name could have actually been a, a designation of where he is from, Judas Ish Kerioth, Ish Kerioth, meaning from Kerioth a possibility. Some have speculated that Iscariot could have been uh, really uh, a, a title or a description of him more than a name because Iscariot is also very close to an Arabic word that's translated into the English as assassin. It's definitely fitting, but there's nothing certain on that. He's Judas Iscariot. That's all we know. In the list of the disciples, though, in every gospel account, Judas Iscariot's name is always the last one to be listed. But then, of course, we understand that the gospel accounts, they were written after all of these things took place. And can you imagine if you're one of the apostles and one of the, even one of the writers of the gospel accounts, say, take John, for instance, who was an apostle who wrote the, one of the gospel accounts. And he's listing the number of apostles and their names. And then at the very end, at the end of all that, oh yeah, and Judas Iscariot, he was one of us too. You got to understand, by that time, the deed had been done. And to list him, even as one of the apostles, had to be difficult. But above all things, we know above all things that we can speculate about Judas, I feel the most important thing we need to truly remember at this point 
is, is that Jesus chose Judas. Do you understand that? Jesus chose Judas to be one of his followers. And he chose him with full understanding of what was going to happen. He had full understanding of who he was and the condition of Judas's heart. And again, from John's gospel record, we read the words of Jesus. Jesus declaring, did I not choose you, the 12? And one of you is a devil. Yikes. It's interesting to note that Jesus, the one who knew the hearts of all men, not only did he choose Judas to be among the 12, but he actually chose him to be the, the, the bookkeeper, the treasurer for the group. And you and I now, this side, we look at that and say, are you kidding me? That's the last guy that I would allow. But Jesus knew when he appointed him, when he put him in that place. John's gospel shares the account of how he regularly pilfered the accounts for his own personal profit. Again, I don't believe that any of this was missed by our Lord in any, in, in any way, form, or fashion. It was in reference to Judas that John writes of Jesus' words saying, but there are some of you, speaking to and about his disciples, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. Close, but definitely not close enough. But can you agree with me this morning that there are times when the Lord does things that you and I, we can't even begin to understand why? Lord, that does not make sense at all. And maybe in your own personal life, that, that very thing. Lord, this, this makes no logical sense within my life or my family's life. This makes no logical sense. I can't understand the other side of this. Why are you doing these things? And beloved, these things will absolutely drive us batty if we try to pursue an understanding because they just will never make sense. We will never understand the whys of these things until the other side, until we get to the side of heaven and then we're going to see and we're going to know as we're known and we're going to say, wow, that really messed me up for a while because I didn't trust God in that. That, 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 that really caused me some, some, some great problems in my life because I didn't just simply say, God, you are the sovereign of all nations. You are all-powerful. You are omnipotent. You are all-knowing. You're omniscient. And, and Lord, I surrender my life to you. I don't understand this. I don't, I, I, I don't agree with it in, in the flesh. But Lord, I'm surrendered wholly and completely to you. There's things that we need to simply surrender into his care, knowing that he cares for us and knowing that he is the great sovereign of all the universe. And the fact is, in all that he is and all the knowledge that he has, guess what? He still loves you and I, too. And that's the most amazing thing. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm glad you understand. I'm glad I'm not the only one in the boat. Okay. <laughs> in all of this, gang, I'm reminded that the Lord sees. And the Lord knows every situation of our lives. And beloved, I want to tell you this morning that the Lord is saying to you, I've got this thing. I've got this thing. There's no need for you to worry. There's no need for you to stress. Surrender to me. I've got this thing. I can handle it.
Judas, the, the betrayer. We can't even imagine how, why, what, when. Can't even fathom all that's going on there. He contracted with the chief priests and the captains of the temple guards to give them a time and a place where they could come out and arrest Jesus without the crowds. What would be the practical reason? Why in the world would a man do that? Why in the world would he come and, and betray someone that he'd walked for three years with? Was it his greed? I mean, did he need the 30 pieces of silver so badly that he was willing to, again, walk away and, 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 and again, betray someone that had shown and demonstrated love to him for those three years? Some try to soften the effect of his actions. They say, well, actually, Judas was one of the zealots that were so against the Roman Empire, and probably what he was doing is he was trying to force the, the hand of Jesus, trying to force the hand of Jesus to defend himself, and that it would hasten Jesus' place to go and take his stand as the reigning and ruling Messiah and usher in the new kingdom. So really, Judas had a, a very good... Uh, kind of a higher standard. No, I want the kingdom of God to come, and so I'm betraying Jesus. No, that's not what our scriptures say at all. Others believe that it was out of the frustration that he felt because Jesus didn't come in as the reigning Messiah. And Judas simply turned him in out, out, out of angry, uh, out of anger and, and, and out of frustration because of it. Others believe maybe it's due partly to a rebuff that he had received from Jesus. If you've got your Bibles there at Luke uh, 22, turn to the left a couple of uh, books there to Matthew chapter 26. Look at this real quick. I'm not going to comment on it, but I want to read it to you, and I want you to catch it real quick. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning down in verse 6, we read these words. When Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, I don't believe that that was Judas's dad, just Simon the leper, another Simon. A woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on Jesus' head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, catch the timing here, one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. I want to do what I want to do. I want to, I want to live my life the way that I want to live. Oh, I want to be close to Jesus, but I don't want to be so close that I can't do what I want to do. You see, here Jesus is Again, rebuffing the disciples because of the words that they spoke, you don't have an, any understanding, you don't have any inkling of what this woman is doing. And then immediately from that, 
Judas goes to the chief priest. Now, it's very interesting when you add John's gospel record account to this. John tells us in John chapter 12, he says that it wasn't the disciples that spoke those things. No, John tells us then one of the disciples, guess who it is? Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, John says, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And then John goes on to say, this he said, this Judas said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was in it. Personally, I believe that just as Jesus' statement in John tells us, Judas was never truly converted. He was, he was never fully devoted to Christ. In the mix of all things, when the time came, he was an easy target for Satan to use. He was, he was not truly a disciple of Jesus. And so, moved by the forces of Satan himself, Judas betrays Jesus. And thus we read in Luke. So Judas consented. He, he promised and he sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Judas was so close to the truth. He lived in the midst of the truth for three years. He ministered alongside the truth during that time. He walked hand in hand with others who were in the truth, who knew the truth, and the truth was part of them. Judas was there in the midst of all of it, walking in the presence, ministering in the presence, and yet, beloved, never allowing the truth of Jesus to permeate his own life. His denial had grave consequences, and the pun is intended. Well, didn't he repent at the end of his life? No. He was remorseful, but he didn't repent. We read that when he found that they were going to crucify Jesus, that he wasn't going to again, take a stand as Messiah. One, one gospel record says that he went out and hung himself. Another gospel record says he went and, and fell down a cliff and so bad that literally it just ripped him wide open. And somebody says, well, which is true? Did he hang himself or did he fall down the cliff? I think both are true. I think very, very likely, very possibly, he hung himself on a branch that probably broke on the side of a steep hill, and he would have fallen down, and literally, as it says, his very insides gushed out as he was uh, uh, crashed on the rocks there. Was he repentant? No. Remorseful? Yes. Was he close? Yes. Was he close enough? No. Are there people in the church today that are possibly in that same situation, so close, so involved, so active, and yet not truly born again, yet not truly fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are close, but not close enough. They're filled with ritual. They're filled with ceremony. They're filled with religion. They're filled with good works. They're filled with the, with the verbiage and, and the dialogue of Christians. But yet their lives haven't been changed from the inside out. We look at men like Judas that have failed so desperately and died in the midst of their failure. 
But we also know that there's other failures in the Scripture, don't we? As a matter of fact, there's failures in the Scripture all the way from, from, from Genesis to Revelation. And I'm glad the failures are in there because that gives more hope for you and I, doesn't it? In the midst of all these failures, and again, time would be way too short for us to look at all of them. There's just a couple that I wanted to pick out for you this morning to, again, drive home this whole idea of being close but not close enough, being remorseful but not being repentant, being sorrowful but not having godly sorrow. We look at the life of Esau, and again, the story of Esau who sold his birthright early on because there was a physical need within his body, and so he sold out his birthright to his brother, and yet later on in his life, the book of Hebrews warns hey, be careful that there not be any fornicator or a profane person like Esau within your midst, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You see, our, our commitment, our dedication to the Lord, it's not an emotional thing. Oh, emotions can play a part in it. But beloved, there are many who shed tears in many church services through the years who, whose eternity awaits before them as God is their judge rather than God is their father. They've shed many tears, but really and truly, repentance and reconciliation were never truly a part of their life. Esau was one of those. Judas was one of those. He cried, threw the money down at the, the chief priest and said, I, I don't want to have anything to do with this. It's, sorry, it's too late. It's too late at that point. And that action of throwing the money away, again, was sorrow, but not godly sorrow. That was sorrow because my hand got caught in the cookie jar. And I've been a part of this thing. But it's not because I've come and now my heart is broken because I denied the only Lord that loved me and is giving himself for me. Let me talk to you about another one who failed. A fellow by the name of King David. You know his story. King David wasn't where he was supposed to be when he was supposed to be there. He was on top of the roof of his, of his house and looking down on the rooftop. He saw Bathsheba. He fell in lust with Bathsheba, called her to himself, had relationship with her. And for how long, we don't know, but this we do know. It was effective because she became pregnant with his child. Once he realized that she was pregnant with his child, he did the only right and logical thing that a godly man would do not <laughs> failed he says maybe i can secretly get by with this sin i don't have to repent of this sin all i need to do is cover it up so that nobody knows about it and so he calls bathsheba's husband uriah the hittite from the battlefield where david should have been with his troops calls uriah the hittite to come in and says hey how's the battle going hey it's going great king let me get back he said, no, 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 spend, spend the night with your wife. He says, oh, how could I do that? All of my fellow soldiers, all of my brothers in arms, they're out there, they're giving their life. How could I find you know, uh, comfort in the arms of my wife at this time? And, and Uriah wouldn't do it. Why? Because Uriah was an upstanding godly man. 
And King David, who should have been, wasn't. So David says, well, have a little glass of wine. Have another little glass of wine. Have a bigger glass of wine. And he proceeded to make Uriah drunk. He said, now go, go and spend the night with your wife. And you know what happened. Uriah went and slept outside the king's door. So David didn't repent. He says, I can still make this work. So he wrote out a note, and he piled sin upon sin to cover a sin. He wrote the note to Joab, the leader of his army. He says, here is Uriah the Hittite. Put him at the heat of the battle. Put him at the very battle front. And when, the, when, it, when it becomes as hot as it can be, as, as, as horrific and, and, and as intense of a battle as it can be, then withdraw the troops and leave Uriah there. You see, David was guilty right there of murder. And I would believe that would be murder in the first degree, planned and carried out. Why? Because he wanted to cover up a sin, which covered up a sin. Because he wasn't where he was supposed to be in the first place. And if the story ended there, we'd say, that's just another failure within the Word of God. But David thought that he had his sin covered. He thought that he was close enough. And yet Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and speaks to David, speaks about the sheep. And I won't go into the whole story, but eventually... David is just outraged at, at the, the illustration that Nathan is saying. and He, he wants to put a charge and, and, and bring, again, uh, a punishment against the one that Nathan is bringing this illustration. And Nathan looks at him as a prophet of God and says, David, you're the man. You're the one that's doing this. You, you understand at that point that David could continue because David was saying, this is your child and you're trying to cover it up. And you do understand that David at that point, he could have tried to cover it up one more time. He's the king. All you are is a prophet. Off with your head, okay? He could have cast Nathan out of the kingdom totally. But at that point in time, the Spirit of God broke into David's heart. And David then repented. Beloved, it was a godly sorrow that overwhelmed David at that point in time. And when godly sorrow comes, true repentance comes. And that's when David cries out, oh God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Against you and against you only have I sinned. And we stop and say, what do you mean against God only? What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? David knew, yeah, those were sins also, but the greatest of his sin was his sin against God. And beloved, for you and I, when we walk away from the truth of God's word and we try to hide it and hide it and hide it, Beloved, that's a sin against God more than any other thing that we're doing. And until we come to that brokenness in our lives, you need to realize we may be close, but we're not close enough. My encouragement to you this morning, consider how close you are. Are you close enough? Are you truly walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are you religious and ceremonial and yet not truly born again into the kingdom of God? We 
can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to theopenword.com and click on the teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to theopenword.com and select the teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you.